Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. Following my formal therapeutic disclosure 10 days ago, my wife demands divorce. I do respect her decision, but she is now pressuring me to tell my 42-year-old son and all three siblings all the details of my addictions. She doesn't want to cover up for me anymore as she did the last 12 months. I struggle immensely with with the all. My advice on or any advice on how to deliver the news to my sons and siblings. Thank you. Um, sorry, I had a little technical glitch here. Um, well, first of all, I don't, if you're not going to be together, then your wife or, or the person you're getting ready to divorce really can't demand anything. Um, they might want you to do something or request, they were, you know, like tell your son, but you know, if she's going to do that, she's going to go do that. But pressuring you to tell your son and your other siblings. And it's like um, all the details, like they get all the gory details, details, which is terrific. So thanks, Damien. I saw you. Oh, um, so the other thing is, you know, a, a number of things. It, it it's none of my business about your sex life. You know, if you're my, if I'm your dad, if you're my dad, the last thing I want to know, especially as you're looking a little bit like, more like grandpa, is to find out what kind of sex you had when I was younger or whatever you're doing now. And I say to you, you folks out there, every single week, I will say it forever: don't tell your children. They don't need to know about your sex life unless they saw it or pulled into it in some icky way. They walked by this or they found that. But if they don't need to be pulled in, you know, we had problems where you're feeling challenged. So I would just, you know, I I would record this for your wife or ask her to come here because I can say with some authority that if she will, she can pressure you or not, she can tell them or not, but it will hurt your children. Like that's what, you know, she can feel like, I'm going to prove to them that he's the bad one, you know, which I completely understand. But I mean, I know that feeling, but she's going to hurt your children and more than she hurts you, you know? So, um, yeah. And I, I, my advice on delivering it is don't, (laughs) um, Tammy and yeah, you two need to see a therapist. Well, and you work on you, you've got no control over her. You can make this worse you know, by relapsing and doing everything. But at the end of the day, I'm, I'm so, first of all, I am terribly sorry that she is so uh, traumatized and that, you know, that it, you know, it's coming to an end, even after formal therapeutic disclosure, it, it is absolutely a partner's choice. So, so we're going to set that aside for her to traumatize your son and your siblings. You know, it's uh, again, I don't want to know my siblings sex life I, I just don't so so um so for her to be in so much pain that she perceives that it's okay to run around and hurt other people to try to hurt you is my perception and I know I'm just reading this in a little note but that's that's terribly sad I suspect this will happen so you having a planned response of I'm you know I'm so sorry that you know that you you've heard these things. Yes. I really struggled. You know, I'm on my personal journey. I'm doing the best I can, you know, addiction is brokenness and, um, and owning our brokenness is how we can, you know, start to heal and and make repairs. I, I want to reiterate the worst thing to me would be that you go and relapse. So, 
So please don't, I know this is a painful, hurtful thing. Please don't go, oh, screw it. Um, I'm going to just go off there. So you work on you, have integrity. We're seeking integrity. We have a treatment program, seeking integrity. I value integrity. I, I encourage you to lean into your integrity, do what you need to do, lean into your recovery community um, so that you don't make things worse. And there's going to be fallout. You, you know, you can see that train coming. I'm really sorry. Well, I am too. I, I think that, you know, and I highly recommend to any couple who's in the process of separation that you, you know, you get a mediator, you get some kind of, you know, a lot a couples therapist. You're going to have to deal with their kids, or your grandkids, or your finances, and you don't have to do it while you're pointing fingers at each other and say, I'm going to tell on you. You know, it's not going to be helpful for the separation process. So, you know, right, Tammy? Tammy knows lots and lots of therapists who are, you have, it's a certain skill to work with couples that are separating. Um, to keep the peace and to help you do it. So if you, and even if you go to therapy yourself for this, I don't mean to push therapy, but this is a very complicated situation and it isn't about facts. It's about feelings. It isn't about what she says or what your kids know, or it's, there's a feeling under there. Like I hate him or he ruined my life or, you know, whatever it is, but she's acting this out and, you know, you're going to tell everyone and you're going to, you know, that's kind of like wanting to punish you. So if you can get some support for yourself or both of you, um, I would really encourage that. And Dr. Rob typed into to me, um, so I'm going to tell you. Even if I you are, I typed everyone. Ed, said to no, the hosts it, it and everybody, to hosts and panelists, which is you and me. You have to hit everyone. Oh. It's okay. So I'm going to read it to you. It says, even if you are an addict and have hurt people you love, you still get to have your own boundaries. And thank you for saying that. Gavin um, Sharp did a webinar December 3rd. I remember that one. So it's in our previously recorded webinars on this. And it talks about not just why addicts have to have boundaries. That's what it was about. But it was it was about why everybody needs to have boundaries. Like, and, and he did just a beautiful job. So Gavin Sharp's on December 3rd on the previously recorded webinars on on this channel so yeah and remember that this is free i mean podcasts are free these discussions are free their groups are free um not everybody can afford uh some of the online groups not everyone can afford therapy but um this we can do for you yes so well, go and, for it tammy you know and speaking of you know, the online we have work groups and you know what was driving the bus on the 42 years of you know of that you know, inner child work group starts tomorrow with Eddie Caparucci. We have attachment wounds groups that, you know, are starting again in April. Those are help us work on the issues that are underneath. So if you stop the behavior, you know, that's a place to start on, on working on some of the underneath stuff. Okay. And I would also just add to that, since we're talking about our work groups, that if you want to show your wife or your husband that you're actually working on this and not just reading a pretending to read a book, they have to show up every Thursday for an hour and a half and go to this class, you know. So uh, we are we're full. We're quite busy. But I try to think of the things that really keep people, you know, the podcast keep people sober they're at no charge you know sometimes i've heard people that are on their way to the acting out place and they had the podcast on yes. darn it dr weiss ruined this for me yes you know? and anyway, i forget we should to. answer questions well but I, just to, um he used thursday as an example they are all different days and times so go look at the online work groups and check out there's a betrayed partner one starting in april too so check them out okay next question do you recommend a celibacy period for couples in recovery for multiple affairs 30 60 90 days i'm assuming any concerns for the betrayed partner's recovery if they are having sex wow there's like a lot there yes um 
So I'll just unpack it, Tammy, and maybe Please. you can pick the parts that... So multiple affairs, I don't know whether that's one of them or both of them, um, you know, who had the affairs. Um, part of my question is how long has it been? You know, how long has it been since you started this whole process? Um, if it's been two months or three months, it's, I'm not sure I would feel comfortable having sex. You'll hear me say, you know, until I'm stopped doing this, um, why would you have sex with someone you don't trust? And you would probably say, oh, I'd never have sex with someone I don't trust. Well, you don't trust your spouse. And so until you are in a place of trust, that's, I think, and really more than, look, for some people, it'd be, it'd be 30 days, they need to just have some space. For some people, they need six months to learn how to, how to make love, how to hold each other's hand, how to look in the mirror, how to, you know, how to be intimate. So it isn't really about, in my opinion, like this many days. Um, it's really about, um, do I trust this person? Has it been long enough since this happened? Um, do I feel like I want to move toward them? Um, one of the challenges I think that, that I've seen with spouses is that you want to have sex with us. <laughs> you know, you find out what we've done and what's gone, and you're like, okay, now a, a couple of things happen. Number one, sometimes a spouse will feel, okay, now I know everything. Now, at least I know a little bit more how you are and I feel safer because I know what's been happening and I, don't, I'm, I wasn't crazy. And so I want to have sex with you. <laughs> I have seen that. Um, I have seen spouses who said, I want to have sex with you morning and night because in their heads, they're thinking maybe that will keep you from going out there. So here's another question. What is your motivation? Um, you know, what is your motion, motivation for being sexual? Is it to make the, your is it make your partner happy? Is it to make you happy? Is it because you think it's the right thing to do? I mean, these aren't reasons to have sex. So I will say this, there is a whole process that I really, and, and your question speaks perfectly to it, which is what is sex? Because a lot of people think, you know, intercourse or oral. And I think, you know, there's a whole process of building that. And at, for addicts, we're really used to going from zero to a hundred. And we miss all of the pieces in between. And so what I would want you to also do is, you know, this week we're going to uh, do massages with clothes on. And we're going to hold each other's hands. And that week we're going to do something together that we both enjoy, you know, like that you begin to rediscover or discover all the pieces that bring you together. And all of that leads you to intimacy and sex. But it feels a little bit like, even with your question, it's like, okay, when should we start having sex? And it's like, you know, I think that's, there's so many pieces within that, that, um, that's, that's, it's, as you saw, it's like five questions. So Tammy, I know you have stuff to add. Or well, you don't. And I do um, in that, like, when can we start having sex or am I negatively affecting my partner's cell, uh, uh, progress if we're having sex? And to your point, it's like, if, if, I hear this often. So I'm using male and female just for, you know, if she goes, he's a porn addict. And so he's in fantasy all the time. So if he's having physical intercourse with you, is he really intimate with you or is he still in his head fantasizing about other things? So a little bit of it is just what Dr. Rob is talking about is, are you connecting in real and meaningful ways outside of sexual intercourse, you know, so that, so that there is that connection, that this is a person that you trust and you're not going, I wonder if he's off thinking about, you know, all that porn he was watching while he was watching porn, you know, now that he stopped. Um, one other piece of this, you said, you know, it's, can you affect, um, his recovery? Every addict chooses 
you know, on a daily basis, hourly basis, you know, what we're going to do for our recovery. So, so you can't make him have a relapse. You can't make him have an affair. You can't keep him from having an affair. You know, you can do things that are more connected for the two of you, or you can hold healthy boundaries. You can do things, but you can't like what you do or don't do isn't the reason he has an affair. So that's my other thought on that. Ready for the next one? Or well, did you have go ahead. Okay. Wait, I okay. do have to ask you, how come you look so good on this and I look so bad? Like, did you do something magical that I know? Oh, maybe it's that like silly button about make yourself look better. Anyway, go ahead. I anyway, can handle this. My narcissism is, you know, we're a little vain, but we're here for you. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> we're perfect and we're worthwhile. Yeah. My husband okay. is a sex addict. He had a bad experience um, using the 12 steps with a coach a few years ago and won't go to 12 step meetings now. He has a qualified therapist and, and attends a therapist run group and another support group. What are the chances of recovery if he doesn't go to 12 steps? Hmm. I'm going to maybe guess about the word coach. I'm going to think sponsor, maybe. Oh, because um, I, mean, I was like, I don't even know what a coach would do with 12 well, steps. Well, a coach Thank is someone you. you pay, you know, like, yeah. you know, it's almost like a tutor, you know. Yeah, But, you know, how can I teach you to work on? How can we, I encourage you? How can we meet regular accountability? But it isn't a relationship necessarily. I mean, coaches are not necessarily, yeah. coaches are not your sponsor. Right. Um, but if I didn't understand 12-step, I would think, oh, maybe, you know, coach means sponsor. So I'm okay. going to, um, uh, if he's working with a coach, that's not the right person to do that work with. And I can imagine right. that didn't work out well. If he had a bad experience with a, with a sponsor, um you know, I think part of what we have to work on uh, as as addicts is being able to accept not getting things that we want or not feeling good about every experience and not being black and white about it. So I didn't like that. Here's a good example. Um, they say that we have to go to a whole bunch of meetings before we pick one. Oh, he was paying a coach. Well, that's easier. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, I can understand someone wanting to coach you with the whole, with educating you about addiction, or they want to coach you um, in how to put your life together after recovery or as a part of her. In other words, I people do coach people about how to put their life together after addiction. And that of course is really helpful if you've got the right coach, but teaching people about the 12 steps, about working the program, about being a part of it. That's something that people do for free as a gift to themselves. And I would never want someone paying a coach to take him through the 12 steps. Okay, that said, we are always looking for a reason to not take responsibility for, for you know, and I can tell you every single person, I say man, that I've sent to a 12 step meeting and they were never at one. This is what happens. They come back after I advised it, I advised them go to a meeting and they went to a meeting and they come back to therapy the next week and they say, oh my God, I can't go back to that meeting because I don't, I'm not like that person. And they pick the absolute most troubled, most vulnerable person, you know, who you would not want to be and or doing things you would not want to do and they say well i'm not like them so i don't need to be there and who would want to be around those horrible people anyway because when you're scared and when you feel um worried about how people are going to perceive you it's easy to put it down and run 
Um, so what we tell people to do in the 12-step programs is to find someone who is like you with similar problems and pick them as a sponsor. But anyway, you don't drop out of the whole thing just because you had a bad experience. Your spouse needs to, in, recovery is about tolerating uncomfortable circumstances, being flexible about finding answers, working with people even when it gets difficult. I mean, everything he ran away from is going to, is, is like having a coach. The 12 steps is like having a coach only you get a you get the small you get the coach for free so um but this kind of like stubbornness unwillingness i don't want to go to another group it's nice to have a therapist well tell me why don't you answer the question because I, I don't think everyone has to go to 12 step to recover but uh, i think we have a thought about this i know how to answer this question. I, I, well i do I, I you know so in 12 step there's the promises and the promises come true if you work the steps you know, and the things that you get in recovery by working the steps are really amazing and such freedom from. So I think my first question was, you know, and I see he's in a work group and that's great. That's just, but again, that's once a week. And so, so I feel like he's, you know, cherry picking. Well, I, I kind of like this and I'm willing to do that. And is he really changing? Because you, you said he had a bad experience a few years ago. Are you seeing significant changes, you know, with him doing what he's doing? If it's really working, you will know. I mean, and he, you will see him being more empathetic. You will see him, you know, being um, engaging in different ways. You know, the vulnerability that we just talked about in the question before, you will see that. If he's not, he's missing out. He's still holding on to old behaviors, which is what we talk about in 12 steps. And here's another thing. There's a whole bunch of different 12 steps. And even within the different kinds of 12 steps, you know, there's different meetings. When I moved out of state from my little home group, I had to pick a new home group. I shopped. I went to different meetings and I went, this is a nice meeting. These are nice people, but this is not my home group. And then I walked into a meeting and then I found my peeps and this is the group that I went with. And then things changed and my schedule changed and I had to go, I had to do it again. And I did. And, you know, it isn't like, oh, I went to one kind of meeting and that was bad. I had to be willing. And honestly, I guess that's what it really comes down to. In the 12 step, we talk about, we have to be willing. If you want what you will, if you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, these are the steps we took. You know, it's a suggested program of recovery. Are there other ways to do it? Sure. I hear all the time of people white knuckling it and they're miserable or you know they're abstinent but they aren't you know they aren't really changing they aren't getting the joy that you know true recovery brings so everybody gets to choose you know if it's working for the two of you fantastic if it's not there's opportunities how's that well all i know is i fixed fix the lighting and i feel so much better about that it's um, not so, about you and the lighting. Oh, I yeah, but you have to understand, I have to like motivate myself. If I look over there and I'm like, oh my God, I wouldn't even want to talk to that guy. Okay, so here's the thing. Um, therapy groups end. You know, I went to therapy group for two and a half years. It was really great. I've conducted therapy groups where people have spent long periods of time, but they end. And since addiction is a lifelong problem, more like diabetes, you're going to say, well, I'm going to go to the diabetes clinic and I'm going to get inside. I'm going to do this for about three years and then I won't need to anymore. No, you have a chronic condition. So I think the 12 step piece is 20 years from now, you can go and say, I'm still struggling and they'll know exactly what it means and exactly where you are. I don't have to look for the right therapist, the right group, you know, because I've got this place. And so part of it is, I think, and I, I don't think, Therapists who don't understand addiction don't get this. 
you know, like, well, we're not sure the 12 steps works for everyone. It may not, but it's an environment where you can go for the rest of your life for free and people will encourage you and support you and be there for you and take your phone calls and help you through the day. And I think, well, you know, who gets that for free? It makes me want to be an addict. Who else gets that? Um, but uh, I do. I was going to say one more thing. I wrote it down. Um, oh, therapy group is not real. Like you have a therapist who's, who's keeping it a safe place and keeping people from getting arguing and disagreeing. It's arbitrary. You go in the group and those people are already there and there's someone to help build the relationships. What I want people to do is go to meetings and not know anybody and have to deal with asking for help. And I, I don't know how to talk to anyone or, or raise your hand and say, I hate being here, but I'm here because my therapist told me to, but you at least stay, you know? So I do think, again, therapy has a different purpose and it, it may even get to the same result, like you stop acting out, but one is a more lifelong, how do I live my life over time and where can I go whenever I needed to get support? And one is a more short-term self-growth, learn how to live life better. They're just different things. And I've been in recovery a while. I still go to 12-step meetings. I still get something out of it. Thank and goodness. I have something, I still have something to give to other people too. It's not just about me, 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 me taking, you know, I can be there and share my experience, strength and hope. I, I not only, you know, warm a seat in the meetings, I have done the steps. I continue to work on the steps. I want the, you know, the amazing things that recovery brings and I'm not willing to backslide, which is what happens if I'm, you know, if I'm not taking care of my recovery. So I think we've probably covered that one. We could talk, I could talk about 12 step all the time. I'm already so, taking I'm notes on the next one. Okay. So you go ahead. How can you work on your core beliefs that go along with being a sex addict? For example, feeling your only worth value is in sex is sex due to years of sexual abuse. I'm in 12-step and intensive outpatient therapy. Okay. <laughs> so I'm just writing my notes about this. Um, so I don't know. Um, so I'm going to assume that you're the sex addict. It's just easier for me to I'm assuming to that you. too, yeah, yeah. So number one thing is you got to stop acting out. If you are not sober from the behavior, then you don't know whether you're dealing with the shame of the past or the shame of saying the wrong thing to somebody and really feeling bad about it, or the shame of your acting out because you're going to feel bad all the time. Um, so number one, you gotta, you got, you have to be sober and you have to be, be engaged with other people who are sober so that you can begin to build a new life. Um, so I wrote the list. Uh, you have to be sober. It's really important to build non-sexual friendships. You know, especially if you're a man with other men to, you know, you say, well, you know, uh, where is it right there? Um, my only value is sex. Well, build some relationships that have nothing to do with sex. Go to a climbing club, join a choir, you know, find a place to go. Not just not just recovery, but where you can enjoy yourself and make non-sexual. I used to sing in a choir and we would go like on the weekends and we play canasta. I mean, it wasn't like we, you know. Um, we had movie nights, but it, you know, it was, and I think making yourself comfortable in social settings without understanding that they're not going to turn that way and it's not going to be, and they're not going to see you as a, it, for your sexual self in that way. I think just I'm big on lived experience and, you know, it's funny as a therapist, you think, you know, I do think that we, we are really helpful in kind of straightening guys out, pointing in the right direction or looking at how you get stuck and kind of getting you unstuck and pushing you back out there. But, um, but your world is going to come together out there. 
So what I mean is um, fun. That was the next one. How are you, when was the last time you had any fun? Now you're going to say or think, oh, he just wants to distract me from my pain. He doesn't really want to deal with it. And I actually do want to distract you from your pain because um, sometimes that can become the focus of our obsession as we've lost uh, the obsession of addiction. We just move to hating ourselves and obsessing about ourselves. And, and that could be an underlying issue like depression or anxiety or OCD or something. And that's something else, by the way, I'm going to go around and around. Just because you've had trauma doesn't mean you don't have psychiatric issues. You know, a lot of people say, I'm going to explore my trauma and work on my trauma. I'm going to, but they actually have depression also, or they just, you know, not everything's going to be solved by doing trauma work. Um, okay. Sorry. I have another couple of things I wanted to say. I'm crossing off my list. Um, what do you do for other people? Um, I think one of the cures for self-obsession is, you know, what is this other situation? situation require of me because it could be volunteering it could be you know uh really if you're at the beginning get a dog just being home on time and having to take care of it and you know all the way to you know giving of your time or yourself but service you can't do anything but feel good about yourself when you've given something away of yourself um you know i'm really looking to do some um some cash, giving some cash away to, there's a lot of people in crisis right now in the world. And I was thinking how grateful I am to be able to send some charity money to people who really need it. Um, so uh, that makes me feel good about myself in a very simple way. And um, there is one more thing, which is, you know, if you have a lot of abuse, um, the way I look at it is, um, we have to realize that our lives aren't necessarily going to be like everyone else's and we may live in pain. And, you know, it's kind of like if you had a back injury as a child, you may still live in that pain, even though you've exercised, it's better. You've had surgeries, whatever. it's not going to be like the person who didn't have the injury and you will have to live with the results of that all of your life. So part of what I, uh, if you're looking for a cure, if you're looking for a magic wand, if you're looking to fix it, there is no it that you're going to fix you can become more and more functional and move further and further away from what happened and learn to really look at it, not have it affect you, but it's not going to, you can't go back and be seven again. You can't go back and be three again. However you developed, you know, I still live working around pain. I know I do. And in fear uh, a lot of the time. Um, but I, anyway, so um, Tammy, can you drop into that? Because I run out of things to say. Well, no, and you covered a lot. I, I really do think leaning into what's in your outer circle and hopefully there's fun things. I remember in treatment when uh, my therapist said, if you don't make recovery fun, you're not going to make it. And I took it to heart and like the, you know, I found a group and we, we went, I lived in Michigan. We went cross country skiing and we went bowling and we went, you know, roller skating. We did stuff together, you know, and had fun together in, you know, in, in various ways. I uh, like Dr. Rob, I believe in service work and, and I have my ways of doing service work that is, and it isn't all about just doing recovery stuff. I mean, I can do my things at meetings or whatever, but I do other things like he's talking about giving, you know, on a financial level to, I, I, I do my things that are meaningful to me. So I, you know, I take care of my program. I, yeah, and I do think, yeah, you, you will always have that shadow of, of, you know, of the pain, but it, 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 it really can lessen. You are not right. your sexual abuse. You do not have, it happened. It absolutely happened. But to let that that happened to you 
color in a negative way the rest of your life. You know, I, I you know, I really want um, people to Don't feel empowered. Exactly. I saying. want them to be empowered to go. I own that this happened, but I'm going right. to take steps to be able to to move forward. So, um, so so glad you're here. Seriously consider both um, the inner child that may be helpful, but also the the betrayal or the attachment wounds. One, because, you know, the, the neglect, abandonment, abuse, all of those things, you know, those those work groups um, on seeking integrity may be really useful, too. I, I guess I wanted to add one thing, which is, okay. Um, I saw the words intensive therapy, you know, and sometimes, uh, especially if you had a lot of abuse, it needs to go slower. You know, sometimes yeah. it's just I'm overwhelmed and I start. Um, going back to some what I used to do, like like making it my fault, or you know. So I I really think one of the most important things for people who've had sexual abuse to be able to do is to say I need to slow down, or I don't want to do that right now, or can we go a little? In other words, it may be that about you need to be able to set a boundary uh, by saying to your therapist, could we move away from this for a couple of weeks if that's really what you feel you need to do. Um, so, uh, I just wanted to add sometimes intensive therapy isn't, you know, your best bet, not consistently. And it's easy to fall into a shame spiral and mm -hmm. the, the, the shame there is when you're abused sexually, you didn't do anything to warrant that. So the shame, you know, I mean, it's just so hard and painful for me to see that people, are feeling that shame so deeply and, mm. you know, and, and they, it, it, it isn't their fault. Nothing they did or didn't do, you know, caused it. So. Thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.